I'm Whitney Walker, and this is the Women Waken podcast, where I interview guests who are in the field of healing and spiritual work using their unique gifts of the divine feminine. We talk all about these amazing gifts that these particular guests have and how they're bringing them forth in the world. On this episode, I welcome the hilarious Jennifer Mason or Jen X. Jen is a comedian, acupuncturist, business and life coach, and holistic healer. Jen discovered comedy after an unexpected end to her marriage when she turned 50 that inspired a vision of herself on stage doing comedy, which led to her pursuing voice lessons and improv lessons and really stepping into her own as a comedian, which she then wanted to guide others to do the same, to follow their calling and use this amazing tool and avenue of expression that comedy is. Jen and I have so much fun talking. There is a lot of laughter, there's a lot of fun jokes, but there's also a lot of really exploring the depth and expansiveness of comedy, of how it can be healing and enlightening and enriching and so many wonderful things and can really be transformative and a beautiful way of expressing emotions, healing and moving on from trauma and really bringing out greater joy and connection between people and within ourselves. So take a listen, enjoy, and here's my guest. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the Women Waken podcast. Hello, Whitney. I'm so glad to be here. So excited to have you here. And I've really been looking forward to our talk because this gets to be a light, fun, well, maybe not all light. There are some complex components to comedy, but that's what we get to talk about today is comedy, which is something that I haven't really focused on in this show. And I think it is such an important part of healing and life and joy is comedy and laughter. And it's something that we don't always prioritize or focus on or see as, you know, really a a beautiful catalyst or means of change and growth and expression, but it really is. I totally agree. It's one of my favorite subjects, as you might guess, um, since I'm now a comedian and a comedy coach. But yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating to me how I really think it's good for everyone. And it's just like a great spice to put in every part of your life. Yeah, yeah. And it can. You can just sprinkle it in there. You know, comedy helps to lighten and connect people, right? Lighten situations and brings connection, right? You can be, if you have someone that you kind of have trouble understanding or connecting with, but if you find like that common funny bone or, you know, comedic moment, it totally allows for a a different kind of understanding of one another. So it's almost like its own like universal language, because also when you think about it, comedy is, is universal, right? We might all speak different languages, but we might laugh at the same thing. Right. I, I think comedy is kind of the secret back door to, to communicating with people that we might not understand or agree with. Yeah. Right. I think we have all of these disagreements in our society and we want to yell at each other and tell each other why we're right. Mm-hmm. But that's not how we connect. We all connect over comedy. Our- yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So again, I'm just so excited to bring that to light on the show and to have you because so you are, well, you are also an acupuncturist. So you have this background sort of, it sounds like you almost kind of had a, a different life up until, you know, I don't know how long it was, but it sounds like when you kind of hit 50, life really shifted for you and you kind of embraced this thing that you always kind of had an inkling towards, but maybe weren't ready to step into. So yeah, it sounds like you had that 
you know, sort of past life, maybe you still do acupuncture, but now you are a, a comedian, a coach, you're, you're a business and life coach. You focus on holistic approaches, but it sounds like you do a lot. And I'd love to hear how you combine all that in your work. Right. Um, yes, my life did change a lot. Well, it changed when I turned 50 because that's when I but it really it was that's really the the result of the change that happened when i was about 45 when i got unexpectedly divorced um my my husband came back from burning man uh, with burning hope i forgot to ask if this was a pg-13 show <laughs> it's an it's a whatever it's r-rated x-rated show everything goes here so say it all anything you want <laughs> yeah uh, my husband came back from burning man with with a burning hoe and um but i i, I did and that's how i got unexpectedly divorced which totally blindsided me um which was awful um but um the process of getting through that, finding out that I didn't have my voice, finding my voice through, I gave myself singing lessons for a year. And then I did oh. improv comedy and Toastmasters. <clears throat> and then when I turned 50, I just saw myself doing stand up. So I signed up for a course and that changed my life, which wow. is like the same time as menopause. So it was like, it was like the big change all over the place. Okay. So now tell me more about that because you just said that you saw yourself. So I'm, you know, the women waking podcast, I'm very big into spirituality, intuition, all that. And so I, I, you know, there's a lot of life-changing moments that happen for us where all of a sudden we just have this vision where we just see ourselves doing something or trying something. And we say, I'm going to try, I'm going to go, I'm going to do it and see what happens. So did you actually have like a vision of it or you just kind of started thinking about it or... I actually had a vision. Um, it's not something I'd ever considered before, but you know, that's what happens when you have a big life change after yeah. honestly, when, before I got divorced, you know, I was there living the American dream in our house with my two children and my husband with the organic vegetable garden. And I'm like, that's it. I'm done. You know, I'm 45. I had my adventures and now life is over and I just care for my children. And I, I thought, I really thought adventures were over for me. And then this happened, um, divorce happened and everything fell apart. And I'm like, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm not married. I'm single. What happens? You know, I, and, and it felt like everything was on the table. You know, when you get scared like that, I'm like, okay, I'm homeless and my kids get taken away from me. That's possible. But then, um, then you find out what you're capable of when you, when you start seeing other possibilities and people are like, yeah. And then the more things that you try, the more things the more experience you have trying new things and watching them pan out. So I started, that's also when I seriously got into business for myself and, and then watching those things that I never thought were possible. I can put on workshops because as an acupuncturist, Whitney, I was, I was, I was a very shy person. I'm a very shy person. Um, I'm an introvert. And so I didn't have a lot of confidence talking about my business so i would treat people for a sandwich you know <laughs> which just makes it really hard to pay your bill so i started taking business you fed. <laughs> yeah it's like hey you know sciatica yeah you know i i like roast beef um <laughs> and and then um and then i just i just had this vision of myself on stage with a microphone i'm like okay i'm gonna do it mm. Because I also think, um, and this is one of the reasons why I why why I recommend stand up to so many people. It's a scary thing. Stand up is terrifying. Oh, like <laughs> yes, it is. It's one of the bravest things anyone can do. 
and I, I think I shared this with you in our in our intro call. We kind of met is I did stand up one time. So back in 2019, I think I had like this intuition that we're soon going to get shut the fuck down and not be able to do anything. And so I just had this like yearning to like try new things. Yeah. And I, I was probably watching way too much Netflix. They, you know, they have all these stand up comedy specials and they had all these like great women comedians coming out. And I was just like, yeah, I could. And I would just, you know, go throughout my day and think of these jokes I'd want to tell. And I started writing them down. And I was like, you know what? I have all these jokes. I just want to, I just want to try it. And I'm a big on like giving myself a challenge. And I was like, I'm going to just going to go to a random place that has an amateur night and do stand up comedy. So I signed up for this place called Rooster Tea Feathers in San Jose. And they tell you, they told me that I get four minutes to do a set. So I'm like a very, I'm a Virgo. So I'm very like analytical and practical. And so I put together literally like condensed four minutes, straight material, just joke after joke after joke. And I went up there and I was so nervous and I had, I knew I had all these jokes for four minutes. So I talked about a mile a minute and I'm very animated and use my hands. So I was like this flailing, like spastic, like and I didn't pause at all between jokes. And so I would occasionally pause, like look at the audience and everyone just looked kind of like concerned and uncomfortable. <laughs> and then before I knew it was over and I was like, I don't even know what I just said or what I did, but I think I, I did something. <laughs> but anyway, it made me appreciate that it truly is an art to be a comedian because it's not just about spewing out <laughs> jokes. It's about how you present it. It's about letting it breathe. It's about watching your audience. And it's because it really is an exchange, right? You're, you're offering something, they're responding to it and you, you respond to how they're responding, what the audience is like, you read the audience. And I realized at that moment that I could keep trying or maybe it wasn't for me. And I decided the the latter that it wasn't because it does take work. It's like anything else. It's a, it's a, it's a skill. It's a, you know, it's something that you develop. And I decided to put my energies elsewhere, but I still love comedy, of course. But anyways, it just gave me such a great appreciation for one, like how scary it is to go up there. Also, I will say how freaking vulnerable it is after doing that. So I did it to a room of anonymous people. And uh -huh. I, right afterwards, I thought, I, I wouldn't, there's no amount of money that my friends could have paid me to be in that audience. Cause I would never have told these in front of people I know. Cause there's something very, like, I was like, I'd rather be a stripper and go up and show my naked body to people I know than show my comedy because, you know, there's something about jokes that it's like, you're getting a reaction from someone. So you're literally putting out like, are you going to like this? Like, are you going to respond to this? Like very this joke that I created, this con this thing that is comedic to me, it's funny to me, but will it be to you? You know? And so it's, I don't know, maybe I'm overblowing it, but it just seemed very vulnerable to oh, share a joke. Oh, so vulnerable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have heard that before, that I'd rather be on stage naked than tell, try to tell jokes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's not just me. <laughs> like, but, it, but it's true, man. I mean, um, and I guess like sometimes forget that people actually listen to my jokes. And so when people will say it back to me, they're like, oh yeah, Jennifer, I know you met your husband on okay, Cupid and Tinder and Bumble. Cause that's in my set, you know, yeah. um, or just it, it's, it's very, because the best comedy is personal that we don't, yeah. if, if you don't care and it's not kind of true, then we don't care either. Yeah. I do. I think what you're saying, um, is something that I thought too, is that stand-up comedy, like really good concerts, right? It's it's energy medicine. Yeah, yeah. Because we're we're bringing we make this container, which is the room, and mm. and the container is also the set, 
and we bring people, we invite people in and they come in and we go on this journey together. Yes. And, and, and we, we know, because if they're not with us, there is no set. If the yes. audience is here, nothing happens. Yes. And that can happen. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I I've shared that with people that, cause I love concerts. I'm a huge live music person. I've seen tons and tons of concerts and it's amazing how I've seen some of the best bands ever. And it just didn't hit. It kind of fell flat, but I've been to other concerts where I didn't expect much. And it was just, I walked away being like, what just happened? Like, I feel like that we just created this like micro universe in this concert together. And I feel like changed forever, <laughs> you know? And, and it's because it depends on what energy they're bringing. What's, what's being created. It's all alchemy, you know, any type of show or exchange of energy is an alchemy happening. And I think people do experience that at shows where it's like, wow, something really profound happened tonight. And anyone who was there, like, ex felt that, you know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, I, th I think it is, I think it is energy medicine, even, even in that sense. Yeah. But, but you're also right that it's terrifying. I mean, it's, I, I, I am, an expert, <laughs> so even just getting on stage was terrifying, but then opening up your life and finding the, the, the laughable parts is that's the opposite of what we are taught to do in the society, right? We'd want to have this Instagram perfect filter. Um, <laughs> um, and we, we brag about our things on, on the social media about how wonderful our kids are. But for comedy, you go up and you're like, Oh my God, you guys, I mean, I found a jar of pickles in my kid's room. I mean, that, ex that explains the smell. That's a much better explanation than what I was thinking about. You know, <laughs> you, you just, whatever is embarrassing in your life, that's what you bring up. Um, yeah. because that's true. And, and that's, that's what we need to do, but it's, it is scary. But I think that when we choose to do scary things, and I don't know what you think about this as a therapist, I think that when we choose to do scary things, it builds a, a muscle of courage. And then other things in our life that have been scary seem easy. Yes. That's absolutely. what I And I, I love that you, uh, use the term muscle because that's what I always use with my clients is whether it's, um, courage or self-esteem. I always say that those, those are muscles. And unfortunately for many people, they can be pretty weak. If we, if we've early on in life, maybe didn't feel good enough or talented or intelligent enough or whatever it is, are that muscle, we, we feel like we don't know how to exercise it. We think, well, I don't have that. So I'm not even going to try. And it takes a lot of effort to say, you know what? I don't, but I don't want to live this way where I feel because everybody has a right or a, inherent confidence and worth and value, you know? And so everybody, it's a, it's a wonderful practice to start engaging with those muscles because otherwise we don't know where, what we're capable of. We, we really kind of, um, you know, second guess ourselves and don't give us ourselves enough credit and don't know what we can do, which is become a comedian at 50 or whatever it is. Or anything. Yeah. Uh, oh, shoot. I've been recently diagnosed with ADHD. So, so <laughs> where it's like, oh, where did that thought go? Um, That's okay. You'll grab it later. <laughs> uh, I think it was about muscles of courage. Oh, yeah. I think that's the other thing is that when... I think that it's a great thing to develop muscles of courage um, for oneself, but also when you are courageous enough to go on stage and share things authentically, whether it's as a comedian or as a podcaster or even as a friend, when we share the difficult things, um, it's super connecting because that doesn't, that's a level of authenticity that we don't get a lot, yes. but it also sets you up as, as 
um, leading by example, right? If, if I'm talking about how, um, yeah, you know, I've accepted my gray hair now, but it was really, really shocking at first. Um, I love it. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm into it now, but it took a while. Um, but you know, like, like when you have that uncomfortable thing and you get up and you talk about it, um, so yeah, I do have a set about being menopausal and I want to do that set because that is what I'm actually dealing with. But when women in the audience hear it, they're like, oh, I'm not the only one. Yes. Right? And then, and, and if Jennifer can talk about it on stage, I can talk about it with my friends. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is, uh, you know, such a important arena for us to speak upon. And I actually have had a lot of women on the show who it, they've created businesses in midlife, often based around the changes that women experience in menopause, whether it's healing or inspiring, like helping women to see, like, you can still be, you know, an entrepreneur and have a whole new life after midlife at 50, you know? And, and that's, I love that because even, you know, I'm 36, I'll be 37 soon. So I'm hitting, you know, getting into midlife. I mean, I'd like to think that I'm going to live long enough to be, you know, midlife later anyways, but, um, Life. I think it's so important to recognize that like we have women specifically get such a strong message that we have this expiration date, you know, and I'll admit that for a while I was like, I'm not old. I'm not old. But then you do get closer to 40. You're like, you know, I don't, my, I'm getting more, I'm sure my age is showing and it's only going to get more of that. So now I really have to look in my heart and say, am I going to be able to, you know, walk my talk and still be able to be the confident woman I want to be and not be stuck on like, Oh my God, but I'm not, I don't look like a 20 year old anymore. And like, am I not going to be valued? Because I think that's a challenge is women. Our value is so tied to our appearance and to, you know, everything that people see and not as much to, you know, who we are and what we can do. And so there's this, there's this fear that maybe we're irrelevant after a certain age and it's just not true. And I think the more people that speak to it, the more we move in that direction. And just like you said, other people can say, oh gosh, okay. So I'm not the only one that has these fears or the only one that has experienced these changes and isn't quite sure what to do with them. Right. Um, and, and, and we want to be leaders in aging, I mean, I'm an acupuncturist, so we believe in holistic living and that strong aging is part of life. That's part of our health goals. Um, but so I, I felt hypocritical when I was like, oh, oh, that's not sunburn. Those are age spots. Yeah. <laughs> that was a wake up call. And and when I felt sad about it, I was disappointed in myself, right? Because I'm supposed to be better than that. Mm. Um, but I do think that there's there's something marvelous about being 50. So that was my first set. Um, it was fuck it, I'm 50. Um, because uh, I don't have to care about, I don't have to pretend to care about the things that people want me to care about. That's, yeah. and I think that, that is actually what happens in menopause. You know, I don't know what how much you know about it, um, but a lot of women, as they go through menopause, they get really angry. Mm -hmm. And they're just, they just will not put up with, with what they have been putting up with. And, and now it's like, um, and people are like, what's wrong with you? And I think what actually happens is that the estrogen and progesterone, which have been like smoothing things over, like, it's okay. <laughs> you know what? I love taking care of my family. Cause that's just, that's what brings me joy. And now you're like, no, because you become like everybody else. Yeah. Because now it's time to take care of yourself. 
Yeah. Well, maybe moving on because, you know, it is the end of being in your childbearing days. And so maybe it's moving away from the maternal and and more so in, cause then I almost just got like the term communal where it's not just about like your family and like t- it's being a caretaker. It's about working with your whole community to, to be connected. Cause you know, you pointed out earlier that women um, will start businesses later in life often. And I do think it's maybe that shift for me like, okay, I know I can be a caregiver and I focus on that most of my life, but now I want to see what I'm capable of. And I do think that women tend to have a, a proclivity to give back. Right. So that communal thing, like, what can I do to, you know, be in service to others? Well, I can still do something that fulfills me, but also helps others like being a comedian, like being an acupuncturist, like being a coach, all these things, you, you know, being successful and and being of service doesn't have to mean self-sacrificing and doing something you hate. Right. Totally. I always encourage that. And I've, I've, you know, someone told me, and it really stuck with me. I was you know, going back and forth about something. I was like, well, somebody asked me to do this volunteer thing. And like, I feel like I really should, but I don't really want to. And my friend was like, you know what, if, if you don't want to do it, then it's, it's not helpful to you or the people you'd be working with to just do it out of, you know, feeling like you have to obligation. Right. And it kind of hit me. I was like, you know, we really all should, if we want to do something philanthropic, make it something that you really love because then your heart's going to come through. People know when you're kind of just showing up because you feel like you have to and your heart's not in it. So something about that stuck because I think that women also in particular often feel like we should do certain things, but you know, what you're doing, the life you're living now, Jen is still very, you're in service to others. You're speaking and offering ideas and thoughts to offer inspiration, comfort, reassurance to other women, other people. And you're doing it, doing something you love. Oh, thank you. Um, I do think that, well, you know, in Chinese medicine, um, I don't know if you know, <laughs> but in Chinese medicine, the, the kidney energy is what's in charge of our longevity. And um, so if you have strong kidney energy, then then you're youthful. And as our mm. kidney energy wanes, it's replaced by wisdom. Oh, so that's kind of what what we see happening at right around this time is that hopefully we have we have the wisdom. And so that that does go into the the community and the generations. Yeah. Um, we become the elders. Um, yeah. And uh, and I've also heard, I've also heard that, you know, yeah, fertility is over. And so, and I think that's I think that happens to save our lives. Because if we kept trying to have babies and kept trying to sacrifice ourselves to take care of everybody else, we wouldn't last long. So in order for us to become the elders, we have to give birth to our true selves. Yeah. Take care of ourselves. I love that. I love that notion of, of, yeah, taking care of our true selves because that, that is wisdom, right? It's moving. Cause I feel like the years where we're trying to take care of everyone else and doing a lot of shoulds right? Doing the things we think we need to do. I, I at least know for myself when I'm in that space, I, I feel disconnected from my highest self, from my, my wise mind, which is a, a DBT term, but it's sort of like that higher part of you that says, you know, I don't really need to be this worked up over this, or I don't, there's really no need to feel obligated. It's okay. But for so many years, we feel just, it, t- you know, stuck in this undertow of like, who we're supposed to be and how people might think of us if we do something or don't do something. But then what you're saying is kind of like, I feel like you're getting spit out of that undercurrent and you're like, Oh gosh, I'm just going to do 
what I want to do and just trust that if it's coming from my authentic self, then it's wonderful and the highest thing I could do for everybody. And it's, and it's so, so yeah, I think that after menopause, self-care actually becomes kind of community care. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess, is it safe to say that we're kind of saying like, those truly are the golden years. I don't know. I feel like life gets better. And, and again, I feel like that's not how it's framed a lot in our society. It really feels like you kind of have your, um, what do they call it? Like after you've peaked or whatever, you're over the hill, whatever they want to say. Um, by the time you're what, like 40 for a woman. Right. Like, well, oh. I think it depends on who's telling the narrative, right? If, yeah. if, I think that if I were trying to still live like I was 28, um, which is what I think is our society encourages us to do. Yeah. You know, have the same intensity. Um, like you're a loser if you don't go out or maintain the same fashions or whatever. Yeah. Then then I then it wouldn't be a great time. But I think when you are able to really plug into what makes me happy and um I I actually don't care very much. And that that helps me in my comedy. I don't really care what people think of me. I don't really, I want people to laugh with me and I want people to like me, but if they don't, I understand. Mm. Uh, and I think that's very different from 28 year old me who was very concerned about what other people thought. Yeah. Yeah. That's so wonderful. Well, on that note, I would be curious to hear, I and mean, there's so much I want to, you know, unpack and discuss around comedy uh, cause it's such a beautiful, I mean, and also comedy is ancient comedy is from the beginning of time. I don't know when the first person made a joke. <laughs> I'd be interested yeah. to hear it, whatever it was, but I'm sure it was like something physical, right? Like from the dawn of time, humans probably found humor in calamities, right? Like somebody tripping and falling down. Like they probably were like, why am I, what's this thing I'm doing? I'm laughing. I'm finding like this feeling about this thing I'm seeing. You know what I mean? Like this, I, I'm just curious about like when it first was born, like when, who was the first human to experience laughter and they must've been super stoked because it's such a great feeling. <laughs> well, you know, I think a humor is often defined as um, a surprise, right? It's, it's a, hmm. a surprise. Of, that's what the punchline is. I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Or, or a benign violation. That's a term that's often used where it's, it, it's tricking you, but in a safe way. Mm. So in a way, peekaboo is baby comedy, right? <laughs> I'm gone. Just kidding. I'm here. Oh my gosh, the baby's laughing, right? Because you That's trick the baby, but but it's still safe. Yeah. And so yeah. I think um, so almost. That's why I think comedy can go anywhere because anytime that you kind of you it's we call it the misdirect. Anytime you kind of lead somebody this way, just kidding and. Yeah. Yeah. And it just elicits this response of like, you know, we've all heard a joke that just like, oh my gosh, it just hits. Right. And we're just like, oh God, that kills me. Like the, and it's, you don't even know why it's that funny, but just something about the subtlety or the nuance, or it just relates to you and it just can, oh my gosh. And again, like what a beautiful thing. Laughter. I mean, laughter is, I mean, I often kind of equate it to, it's almost like an orgasm. Mm -hmm. and, and that's again, why I think that being a comedian is very vulnerable. Cause you're like, can I elicit this in someone else? Like, can I, cause I, like, I, I'm a big laugher. So I've had people tell me like making you laugh is the greatest feeling ever. Cause it feels <laughs> like you just erupt and I just, I get to make you erupt. So it is kind of like you're eliciting this response in somebody. And when you get it, it's the best feeling ever. My brother, um, he lives in new Orleans and he, is a comedian and he is a writer and he did stand up comedy for a while. And he was like, it's the worst feeling ever when you bomb on stage. But when you get laughter from an audience, there's no feeling like it. 
It is. It's um it's the good it's the good drug. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I was I was I was thinking about many things because I have ADHD, so I always think about eight things at a time. But one of the things I was thinking about is that um uh we were talking about how the old school there's a school of comedy which is a little bit biting and um and and even now when I go into a club there's there's not very many women comedians we are the minority yeah uh, and some people some comedians say that's because men use comedy as a tool to get women right because it's it's hard to say no to somebody who makes you laugh mm. um and um and I I do think that stand up com stand up comedians are like empaths. Um, we're master manipulators. We we want we get on stage and immediately want you to like us. Yeah, and we can accomplish that within ten seconds with our first joke. Yeah, when you laugh with us, then you're on our side, and then we try to keep you on our side so you can see our point of view. And I mean, it's it's not a, a mean thing, but that's just that's how a set works is yeah. we want to bring you with us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I find it interesting, the type of people you, um, that you find in the comedy world. I think it, it it's it ranges a lot. I mean, I know that the, the night that I did that set that I did my own set. I remember going out afterwards and, you know, they had all the people who were doing sets in one spot. And I went over and I was like, I was like, I think I'm, I was trying to talk. And like, people were just like, like, they would not talk to me. Like they were not very friendly and they weren't very nice. And they were kind of like, uh, I don't know, kid. Like, <laughs> and one person was like, yeah, like, let me give you some feedback. And, but I don't know. And I've sensed that before. And I've also like, I've gone to shows before and tried to talk to comedians afterwards. And like, they were, some of them were like, some of the guys were kind of like dismissive or rude. And, and maybe they just like, were doing other things, but I've seen it a few times. So I feel like it can, you, you see someone who's making these jokes and you feel like they might be approachable, but I think they, you know, it's not always the case. I think sometimes people go to comedy because they, I mean, they're maybe they're trying to make light of things that really bother them, or they're trying to like, um, you know, jokes often come from pain or from like a dark side. So you, you would think, I, I guess it's just, you think you would find like lighthearted people because it's laughter and comedy, but there's sometimes like a dark side to people who pursue comedy. Oh, for sure. Um, <laughs> okay. First, I want to say about your first set, Whitney, um, you, in my eyes, you totally succeeded. You killed it because you did it. I, I mean, do you it. know how hard it is to do your first set? Um, and, and you did it with no support. Amazing. You went a mile a minute. Yeah, of course you did because it's your first time, you know, like teenage boys, it's hard to pace yourself. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, but, but that is something that we all learn. Um, everybody bombs their first set, you know, even if we think we did great later on, we look back and we're like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so just, so that's what I tell my students. If you made it on an open mic, you made it to the stage. You won. I don't yeah. care if anybody laughed. I don't even care if you made it through your set. And um, the second thing is that, um, at open mics, uh, open mics tend to be newer comedians. So they're not the most successful yet um yeah. and so and so they're worried they're nervous so the comedians most comedians pace before a show yeah like even now even now doing my 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 regular jokes i still pace because i'm like <gasps> because as you might have experienced getting up there sometimes the fear just erases your mind yeah that you'll forget everything so mm -hmm. i'm a very friendly person but before a set 
I probably won't talk to you because in my mind, I'm like, I'm an acupuncturist. Uh, I've been doing positive affirmation. You know, I I go through my set. Yeah. Um, So, so there's that. Um, And because I think some men are are going, a lot of comedians are going into it because they want to be the cool guy with kind of bitter, kind of sarcastic. And they tend, that tends to be a punching down set. And that term means making fun of people who have less power or influence than us. Okay. Which I think, something that's I don't like in it, but I also think it's, it's kind of on the way out. Oh, good. Yeah. I was going to, cause that's the, um, that's the kind of comedy I've always had trouble with. I mean, there's some stuff that can be very funny, even though it's at the expense of others, but I, I just never really care for that as much. Um, I always like situational humor, like where people are just using like excerpts from their life that are just goofy and funny. But when people are pointing out others, I just kind of just doesn't hit right for me. It's, you know, and it just feels um, a little exploitive or something. Right. So um, you won't laugh at them and I wouldn't either. And I think that, that that is becoming unpopular. But what I've also found is that really there's, you know, there's every comedian has a different crowd. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And they can all be at their own show and enjoy it. And that's fine. We just don't have to to be there. What do you think, Jen, about, you know, cause there is a lot of talk, especially recently with different people coming out with different sets and everything that can be really controversial. What do you think the idea of that nothing's off limits when it comes to comedy that, cause some people say, well, no, you don't go here. You don't go there. But I will say that I think there's something powerful to, you know, if people are laughing, it's because they're like, God, I'm so glad that person said it. Like no one's allowed to say that, but he said it. And it's, it's a little bit harsh, but I think it's true. And I laughed my butt off at it. So what are your thoughts on that? Um, so first of all, I think that if there is something uncomfortable or weird, you have to call it out in a comedy show, right? Um, if, if the comic before you bombs, you have to talk about it because if you pretend it doesn't happen, the crowd is still like thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. And they want some relief. The word relief just came to mind. I think that's almost also such a part. I mean, of course we call it comic relief, right? It's like, we have this thing where we're kind of like tense about it. And then someone makes us laugh and we're like, I can like kind of release that a little bit. Absolutely. Right. Um, I think that nothing is off limits, but you know, so I, I have a set about my parents dying. Um, they're not dead, you know, but, um, (laughs) but they're, you know, they will cause everybody does. Um, I think you can make fun of everything. I personally, there's a quote and I can't remember who said it, that there's always the butt of a joke, right? Somebody's going to get punched and make sure they deserve it. So that's why I like punching up. So I want to make fun of Elon Musk or um, uh, Chevron um, uh, because they can take it because they've taken everything. Um yeah but I'm not going to make fun of my children. I don't think that they deserve it. So if I make fun of my children, if I make jokes about my children, probably I'm going to make either me the butt of the joke or my generation, the butt of the joke. Yeah. Cause I, that's, that's just what I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I, yeah, I do. I do think that, you know, just addressing things and bringing things to light is important, but just being, but you know, I think it's, that's the beauty of comedy is each person has their own unique flavor and, you know, approach to it and do your thing and let other people do theirs, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and the audience lets you know if they like it or not. Yes. Yeah. And then I'd also, 
love to talk about the aspect of how therapeutic humor is and how much that ties into to comedy because because it sounds like it was a part of your healing journey through what happened to you and i think we've all experienced the way that comedy can be a relief but it also can be a release of you know real whether it's like feeling really serious or really melancholy or sad for example i'll i'll never forget i was on this trip one time with friends when i was studying abroad and i had this whirlwind romance while i was on this trip and i just thought like it was the best thing ever and then in a second notice he just like dropped me and disappeared and was like never going to talk to me again and man, I just felt like I got gut punched. Like I just felt that everyone knows this feeling where you just, you literally feel heavy when you're in heavy emotions, it's energetic. So my whole body just felt heavy and weighed down. And all of a sudden I just like, couldn't, you know, just getting through, I was just not enjoying the trip anymore. Cause I was like, I feel so heavy and sad. And then my friend and I went snorkeling we paid a bunch of money to get in a boat out to the middle of the ocean. This was out near Australia, by um, the coast of Australia. And they threw us in the water and we paid a bunch of money and you couldn't see anything. And so for like 20 minutes, I was swimming around and I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, this is terrible. Like we're in Australia. We're supposed to be like seeing amazing things. And I literally can't see shit. And after like 20 minutes, my friend and I both kind of popped up and she was like, she looked at me with her, like her mask on. And so she just looked ridiculous. And she was like, Whitney, this is the shittiest snorkeling I've ever done. And I laughed so hard because just like you said, it hit, it was something that was unspoken, but she said it and it just erupted this like real. And I just felt this, like that heaviness I've been feeling. And to be honest, I kind of laughed like a maniac because I don't know if you've ever had this, but sometimes when you're so sad for a long time and you laugh for the first time, it's like your soul like reopens a little bit and you just like, it's kind of like an uh, avalanche or something like a volcano. You yes. just kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You just feel it like releasing and people might be like, Whoa, you're uh, kind of freaking out over there. But it's, it is, it's that opening that, you know, laughter and comedy allows for it really heals. It really, you know, it's a lightening up, right. It's, and so you go from like these heavier energies to a lighter energy and it's like, Oh gosh, what, what a relief. Yeah. Yeah. It breaks through. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do think that comedy is very therapeutic. I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of my friends who are comedians go into it because they're going to some big, who am I questions. Um, a lot of, a lot of people will, when they, you ask them how they got into comedy and it usually starts with, well, my girlfriend threw me out, you know, <laughs> my wife left me after 20 years. Yeah. Um, so, and, and that, that whole feeling of what the hell happened and, um, so you can either go down or you can go up. And I think that comedy is a way to bounce back up. But also even for minor irritating things, you know, if I'm, um, I was stuck on a plane, a one hour flight, I think to San Jose, um, behind a couple. And it was just, there was something so irritating to me. I don't even remember what it was, but um, somebody who was just very entitled and, mm. uh, and it bothered me so much. And I wanted to kick my seat like a toddler, but instead I just started listening to them. And I'm, I'm like, I, how can I use this character? Like, oh my right. God. I mean, just like, I totally, you know, I, I should have paid extra for the, for the early boarding. And I always, you know, then just like, it made me so mad that I just wanted to capture all of it and use that person as a character. And that really helped me get through the flight. So I think this is something that, that, it's a, a comedic therapeutic thing. Um, 
And, and what I do with one way that I get material for myself or with my students is, is to let myself rant. So if there's something like, oh my God, traffic, or um, that, <laughs> well, yeah, that motherfucking asshole, you know, one thing <laughs> he thinks that he can get away with this because just because what he owns an olive farm. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> if you, if you just really let yourself um, get worked up and then it, to the point where it gets ridiculous, it gets it out of your system, yeah. but it's also authentically emotional and then it's funny. Yes. That's so true. That's so true. Cause I've totally seen people do that where they're like all, you know, irritated and like frustrated with something. And then they like say it. And it's so ridiculous the way that when they finally say it, that everyone just starts laughing. Right. Where they're like, Oh my gosh, like, what are we even talking about? <laughs> like, why well, are we even upset about this? Because if you're, if you're, if you're rational about it, like, well, I guess it wasn't meant to be, that's not funny. But if you're like, who does he think he is? His car didn't even work. You know, it's just like, that's, it's just ridiculous. It's just funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, yeah. And then for you, Jen, personally, like when you first start, like you had this experience of your marriage ending unexpectedly, and you had this vision to be a comedian, what, how did you take the first steps to find your brand of comedy? Did it just come to you? Like, were you just like me kind of just having like these thoughts about like these little jokes or these little gigs that you could say, or what was it? What was it for you? I had been a classroom teacher. I also taught English as a second language for 25 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and it turns out that being a classroom teacher is a lot like stand-up comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're up, you're right up there in front of the class. You're making jokes and stuff. You're trying to get them to do what you want without yeah. them feeling controlled by you. And so, yeah, I had, um, so I think that I was kind of doing a stand-up routine without realizing it for years, but, <laughs> but in a very quiet way, right? Yes. So I had stories that I think I was trying to work into Toastmaster speeches. So I, I kind of- Oh yeah, you did Toastmasters. I've heard great things about that. Oh yeah, it's totally great. Um, super supportive, free, you know, basically. I, I, yeah, you pay a little. And a great bit. tool. It sounds like too. Not even like just comedy, but also your speaking voice, public speaking. Well, again, yeah, it's it's community, and then it's a way to to exercise that courage, that courage muscle. Yeah, totally. I recommend Toastmasters. I recommend singing lessons. I recommend mm. improv comedy and stand up. Uh, they're all for slightly different things. Right. Uh, so I I I wanted to do stand up. I think what, what, sorry, what was the question? It's kind of how you found your brand. Cause I know as a coach, you help people to find their funny, right. To find their, their flavor of comedy. And when you coach people on that, how did you, you know, what do you recommend? And like, is it based on how you found yours? I found mine kind of accidentally. Um, so I like to help people find theirs rather quickly. In fact, I have a one hour workshop on this called uh, Stand Up for Scaredy Cats, which is on Eventbrite. So, you know, anybody can go find it. It's pretty low cost, it. 30 bucks. And in that hour, we I have a worksheet and we find your brand of funny. Like, because not every, some people are very slapstick. Some people are very dry and erudite. Um, some people just love puns, you know? So it's, it's different. Oh um, and then what's your material? Well, because your material is your life, but it's, we're swimming in it. So it can be hard to see what's funny. Yeah. So, so what I, what I've learned is that the, the way to find the, one of the easiest ways to find funny is to, to find the twist, right? 
um, the unexpected emotional response to something. I have menopause. Bet you're jealous. I know. That's right. I'm in the promised land, you know, living the tampon free dream. Don't worry. You'll be there before you know it. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, when you put it that way, it does sound nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. There are some good things, uh, but yeah. Um, so I think that that's what I like to do is, is hear people's what, how do they describe their life? And then, and then, and then find that's interesting. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. So it's, it's very personal and interactive and it's super fun for me. Um, I had one student who was a rocket scientist. Who wanted to be a comedian? Yeah. Oh my God. I love it. I mean, just to try it, you know, and, um, and his, so his set was like, um, uh, I'm a scientist and, uh, my wife signed me up for this, uh, communication seminar. (laughs) She says it's easy. It's not rocket science, but I wish it was because I'm a rocket scientist. That's what I know how to do. Right. (laughs) So so his set was very much him um, and that dry scientific humor. And yeah. I wish there was a formula for social interaction. I mean, it was super fun, but you know. Um, so I think I think it's just the stuff in your life, and then we just kind of find find how to twist it into something relatable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Do you think that anyone can be a comedian? So I think everyone has a good five minute set. Okay. Um, can anybody be a comedian? I think everybody can get better at it. I don't think everyone needs to be a stand-up comedian. I mean, I think that that's a pretty high bar, right? You're trying to get um, a laugh every six seconds. Yeah. But I think that anybody can use the tools of comedy to make their life or their business more comedic. Yeah, more, more um, engaging, more relatable, more fun, more connecting. Yeah. So I mean, okay, I, then maybe the question is more: Can anyone be funny? Because being a stand-up comic, it is kind of like okay, that's a high bar to be able to get up there and keep us put together a set that people will, re- you know, connect with or respond to. But just being funny, I think some people even think that they just aren't funny. Uh, people say that all the time. You know, I'm just not funny, and but I think there's, you know, everyone's has, I think humor is built into our DNA as humans. It's there. Well, so that's why I like to say, I help people find their funny because yeah. it can't be my funny. Right. Right. to tell my menopausal cat jokes, it will feel terribly, <laughs> <laughs> but they can find their funny. Right. So I think, um, my grandmother wasn't very funny. She was quite serious, but she was like so serious and kind of kind of grim faced. So mm. so she would kind of secretly pinch us and then grin. I mean, that's but but it was so surprising that that was funny, right? So it it it's not like she would not make a living as a stand-up comedic, but you know, she, there's there's something funny. Yeah. Grandma was funny. I think everybody has everybody has funny. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And then something you also sort of speak to and work with as a coach is, um, you know, how comedy can help to overcome some traumas in our life. And maybe that's related to healing, which we spoke about, but is there something more specific or something you'd like to speak on to that? Sure. Um, yes. Comedy is really helpful for trauma. Um, I mean, 
like I said, I, I like to do the rant just to get it out. And then I surprise myself by saying that could be a good set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that jokes help us process difficult things. Mm-hmm. I know that when the most difficult things happen up happen in the news, it's the comedians that I turn to to understand it. Because yeah. I can't I can't face so much um trauma in the news it just it's completely depressing and it's not like the comedians are lying to us you know they're they're just gonna a little bit of information and then a little bit of lightness and then so it kind of keeps us going um so so i i know that i i of um big national trauma or or global trauma that's i'm gonna look to comedy for that um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, as we kind of been a theme throughout the show is that, you know, the ability for humor to lighten you. And it, again, I truly feel like it is, a, it's a lightening of your energy. It's, and you know, when we experience traumas, it's so heavy for so long. And at a certain point, I think, cause I know I've been there, like things that are so heavy that at a certain point I'm like, and I think, again, that's a good point, a big, good part of getting older is the older I get, I think, you know what? I don't want to be this sad about it anymore. You know, because I think for a long time you can feel like, man, I'm so still so sad that this happened to me and it feels very painful. But at a certain point, it's like, maybe I can lighten it up a little bit. And again, I think comedy is a tool to lighten things up, not to like make fun of your trauma, but it's just to say, you know, is there another way to look at this? Or is there a way to just be like, yeah, this happened. And you know, what sucks is when like people treat you like shit and they make fun of you in front of people and or whatever it is where you kind of put a spin on it and you can just laugh about it and be like, you know, yeah, it just sucks. And I know that I've found when I've said that about things that happened to me, it feels good. Cause you know, it's, it's like, you're, you're just kind of, you're speaking your truth fully and you're just kind of like letting it out there and being like, at a certain point, this is what happened to me and it sucked and that's it. And it's nice when you put it out there and people respond and they're like, Oh my gosh, like me too. Like I feel that way. And that's happened to me. And, and if you can find a lightheartedness in it, then it just makes, it makes you reframe it. Right. I know that I've had things where I've, I kept it to myself. I didn't want to tell anyone. And finally I was like, you know what? this happened to me. And people were like, Oh my God, that happened to me too. And then we burst out laughing. Like whether it's like a weird sexual encounter or a weird secret thing I used to do and didn't tell people about. And I tell someone and they're like, Oh yeah. And it's like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So again, it's about connecting, relating, lightening things up. So even trauma, I, I think one of the most damaging parts about trauma as a therapist, I speak to this a lot is that we keep it hidden. Right. Especially like childhood trauma, because as a child, we don't know how to process horrific things that happen to us. So we put it in this deep cavern in ourselves and say, I don't want anyone to ever know about this. I want to almost pretend like it didn't happen. Maybe if I keep it buried, it didn't happen, but it's, it's still alive in there. Like it's an energetic experience that if we try to bury it, it's not going to go away. It just kind of keeps pulsing almost like a tumor creates a lot of um, dysfunction in our body. It's going to, it's going to have repercussions. And as soon as we're able to give it some light and bring it to the surface, we can actually begin to move on from it and heal. And I think that comedy is often involved in that. Again, not laughing at the trauma, but just releasing something around it, which can be laughter. I mean, well, shame grows in the dark, right? And so, and then there's something so powerfully healing, healing about being witnessed, seen and heard. Yes which is, which is a big part of comedy. And, and 
having people, having somebody else talk about something that happened to you is so healing. I've actually had people process trauma through my class. I had um, one person whose who's child went through um, a terrible medical, um, you know, a series of children's hospitals for a lot of medical trauma. And, um, and so she did a set about um, the the TripAdvisor guide to children's hospitals. This one has a bar and this one has very attractive doctors. And <laughs> that was a way for her to reframe it. And she just, it, she felt a little lighter. And I had another student who's like, Jennifer, I have to, I have to quit the class. Um, I'm sorry, I'm in the hospital with a brain tumor. And I was like, whoa, you know, you do what you need to do. Take yeah. care of you. Um, but it's also kind of funny. I mean, if you said, you know, like, you're on a two weeks uh, all-inclusive vacation, right? I mean, people are waiting on you hand and foot. And that was the set she did. I just got back from a two-week all-inclusive be- vacation, you guys. <laughs> There's I- only one way to get it. Bringing me drinks whenever I rang a bell, you know, because uh, I got a brain tumor. And then she described it like having a slinky in her head. And wow. that that allowed her to get past it. Yeah. Just it and getting it out there and like, okay, now I'm out. Yeah. And I love that because especially when you talk about something like brain tumors, not only like not just talking about traumatic events, but um, what's the word for, you know, things that are considered very somber, like death, like a, you know, a, a horrific, you know, accident or diagnosis, like dark cancer. Humor. Yeah. Like dark humor. And it's, and so we're all kind of like, oh gosh, like how, like, oh gosh, that person has a brain tumor. Like, let's not talk about it. But for someone to come out and be like, Hey, guess what? Now I have two weeks vacation and hand and foot. And I'm the lucky one. Cause I, it's cause I have this brain tumor. Then we're like, Oh, okay. So you're going to laugh about it. So now I can feel easy about it. And it makes everyone more comfortable. And it makes them realize like, you know what, every situation we go through, it always, you know, it has something to learn from it and something to, you know, have a different spin on it. Right. I mean, not that it's like a super positive thing to get a brain tumor, but you can make a joke out of it and be like, this is the path I'm on. And here are some of the perks. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, Cause otherwise people tiptoed around you and they, yes. they don't know, they don't really treat you as a human. Um, ah. So yeah, I had, I had another student. She, she was recovering from breast cancer and that was her opening line. I got to get something off my chest. I got breast cancer. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. And I think that that's becoming more common is that, um, comedians will just throw it out in the beginning. Like, uh, you know, just state it. Like if they lost somebody or something happened, they're like, Hey, let me just say it because I know you all know about this, about me. So let's talk about it. And actually it was, um, what's Tom, Tom, this young comedian that's become really popular. There's this cute girl. Tom, I feel like it's Taylor Tomlinson who, Taylor Tomlinson. Yes. Yes. Taylor. And she talks about her mom died and she's like, I know you guys are all uncomfortable, but I'm not. And it was like, Whoa, you're not okay. Like, tell me more, right? Like, tell me more about why. And then we did get to learn more. And so I think she did a brilliant job of that. She also spoke to mental health, mental illness, taking medications. And again, something that's so, I mean, talk about having a profound impact by just doing, you know, what you love to do, which is comedy. The more people talk about that, people hear that and they're like, oh, can I talk about that? Like, I haven't told anyone that I started taking medication, but maybe I can. Right. Of course you can. You know, of course we can put ourselves out there, put our, you know, dirty laundry out to the surface. Cause guess what? It's not even dirty laundry. It's just life. And we all are experiencing it. And that's what I love about comedy is it speaks to the things that we're all experiencing, but don't always talk about. 
And we get to have fun with it too. And realize like life is a comedy, right? They, we've been talking about that for centuries. People have said, tra- it's, what is it? Life is a tragic comedy, something like that. Somebody said that. <laughs> um, there's things like tragedy plus time equals comedy. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Like that. But so we've known this wisdom, right? From the beginning, we've known life maybe isn't meant to be this serious. And maybe the most important thing in life is laughter and joy. Who's to say it's not? Well, I think you don't regret any of the times that you were laughing. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, you know, laughter is healthy, right? There's lots of studies that show like the more people laugh and they are in joy that they're healthier, they're more vibrant, they live longer than people who are super serious and keep everything closed up. Because, you know, I talk a lot on the show about how any sort of dis-ease is all due to constriction. And when you laugh, it's the opposite. It's you're allowing your flow. You're, there's another um, quote that I love that says, laughter is the, the song of the soul. Hmm. So it's literally like the, our soul singing is the, is what laughter is. That's how that's how the soul sings. It sounds like laughter, and that's what it feels like. It feels like this because I know when I laugh, it's it's just it's like a it's a reflex, right? You don't have to force it; it just happens. And so it truly it feels like it's coming from something. I'm happy to say that it's coming from my soul, sure. And I mean, what could be more important than that? What could be more beneficial than that is letting your true soul come, you know, come through. Well, in Chinese medicine, as an acupuncturist, um, each of the five organs has a sound, and mm. and we we believe that so so laughter is from the heart. Sighing um, comes from the liver, actually. Um, so 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 that's the sighing is like the um, the the sadness and worry, but but pain and disease often comes from stagnation, things yep. not. Yes. So Placid. so. I, I think that a lot of the stuff, the constriction that we have is from keeping stuff in. So I think, I think laughter is important, but you know what? I also think crying is too. Oh, heck yeah. They're not I that know. different. Who hasn't like first started crying and then laughed or first started laughing and then cried. They're, they're strong expression of emotion. It's a manifesting of emotion, right? It's an emotion being expressed physically and through laughter, it. through tears. It's all whew, so cathartic, so good. I actually just this morning, um, yeah, just this morning I was I was doing a, a practice with emotional sovereignty school. Um that Ooh, what's that? That it, sounds interesting. It's uh, Nathan McTague and um and Natalie, and again, yeah, it's called Emotional Sovereignty School. And basically they every other Tuesday they have a practice where we explore an emotion, act it out. Um, so this morning was disappointment. So we felt 32 minutes of disappointment Big one. and, and you, you try to, you try to get it as deep as possible. And I was like, Oh my God, why can't I have the things I want? Um, and then 30 seconds of the opposite emotion, which would be for me, celebration. Yeah. And now another minute in and then out and then 30 seconds in, it's like high intensity emotional training. But if you can, you can really feel it and, and express it and I cry or, or beat up on my pillow, um, then you, afterwards you feel lighter and then you have space. Yeah. Ooh, that's, that sounds so beautiful, man. Disappointment. Talk about a, a big emotion. That's, that's a hard, a hard one because, because it, 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 it's a, I mean, every emotion is a little bit of like 
you know, blend of like a couple of different things. And disappointment is, is sort of, um, you know, but it's sadness, but also like hopelessness. And then maybe with like a side of anger. Right. So it's like all these things kind of <laughs> mixed together. Yeah. yeah. There's some temper tantrum in there. Yeah. It's, it brings out our inner five-year-old where we're like, I, I want that. <laughs> that was supposed to be for me. Why didn't I get what I wanted? Oh, I, but then it's funny, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's really cool. Okay. So you had this emotional sovereignty school. Very cool. And then that kind of, that helped, that was kind of shedding the light on. Um, So, so just um, getting emotions out. So that's why I I think laughter is good, but then, you know, if you can, if you can cry on purpose or, or get angry on purpose. So yeah, I think anger was two weeks ago and (laughs) that is really cool. That is really cool. I mean, I think the more we're able to get in touch with and express our emotions, the freer we are, you know, and the more we can, well, also there's, you know, the whole thing is that really every emotion is exquisite in its own way, even sadness. You know, I, I read that another quote I like is that sadness is beautiful because it shows that we deeply cared about something. We don't get sad unless something meant something to us and how wonderful that something should mean so much to us. But that feeling it's like I said, like I was talking about on that show, like sadness is heavy. It feels like, Oh, it's painful. Right. But it's, it's having to think about, well, why, why is this so sad to me? Well, cause I loved this thing so much, or I wanted this thing so much, or I missed this thing so much, whatever it is. And just allowing for, you know, that brilliant emotion. And, you know, we tend to, as humans, we label things good or bad, but they're not really, they're just things one way or another, you know? Yeah. And life has the full, the full spectrum. That's why it's so interesting. Thank goodness. You know? Well, I don't know. You're a therapist. So I've, I've heard depression is a feeling of apathy. Is that true? That What's the feeling of apathy? depression that when you're depressed that you don't feel things. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Cause it's, I mean, cause that's the scariest feeling, right? It's one thing to be super sad. It's one thing to be super, you know, excited, but to feel nothing, to feel like just, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. You're numb. Yeah. And I've been there. I've, you know, had, you know, experienced depression before. And it's that clinical depression where it's like, something happened to me is something, am I gone? Did I lose my personality? Did I lose my soul? Like, what is this? It's terrifying, right? Mm. So that presence, it, it's it's like this very ominous cloud is how I describe depression. It's like, or I call I call anxiety is like a hell. It feels like you're in hell. And depression is like a beast because it feels like there's like this beast looming over you that's kind of like, you can't go back. Like you, you're stuck in this, you know, place where nothing matters and you're you're kind of lost. And it's And it just makes it, you think like, I just don't want to be here. You know, I don't want, I don't want to stay in this place. And, but then what's remarkable is that, I mean, people struggle with depression at different levels, but when it's maybe a more mild depression um, or situational depression, you can come out of it from situations that bring you back to life, almost like a defibrillator where you're like, oh my gosh, there's like, there's laughter, there's a sensation. And you remember that like, you're in there, you're still in there. Maybe you just got Maybe you detached because maybe something was too painful in the past. Maybe something, maybe you felt too disconnected from the world around you because you weren't connecting with what authentically is important to you. 
right? I mean, and also I feel like people talk about that as an experience in midlife where they come to life in a way that they hadn't before because maybe they've just been kind of drifting through life and experiencing some of that depression and detachment and numbness. But then they realized it was because they weren't doing things for themselves. They were doing what was expected of them or what they thought they should do. And then when they tapped into what they really want, they come to life again. I think with midlife, I think when we're, you know, for so long, for so long, I always thought, okay, you know, this year I'm going to get my bikini body or whatever. Yeah. When you, when you hit menopause, you're like, oh, that's not going to (laughs) happen. That's like ever, you know, or, or, um, and, and so I think there's a surrender when, when you, when you realize that you're aging and it's not going to go back, that this isn't a temporary thing, Um, you know, it's not like the flu and you're going to go back to being, um, who you used to be when you accept that this is who you are and you're like, okay, then, then I, then I think it's freeing. Now it's like, what do I do with this? Because Mm. I can't, I can't be a perfect 30s, 30 year old housewife anymore wearing my size six, <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, so what what do I do with this? And what and when and now now that you're working with what you actually have, then then it then it gets exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite words is is surrender because it means just letting go of that fight. Again, we talked about constriction. Well, not surrendering is trying to force and you're constantly, you know, in a state of friction you're trying to control something and when you surrender it's that letting go and you're like you know maybe i can just stop trying to force something and see what happens when i just um and just release it and you know it's a much more pleasant experience to you know just allow yourself to not try and fight what is to kind of surrender to what is and you know i think that that I feel like what happens later in life, cause I've already experienced this twenties versus thirties, right? I see that. Yeah. Maybe I was, you know, more hot stuff in the twenties, but things, maybe things like aren't as ideal externally, but there's so much more less chaotic internally, the older I get. And I'll take that. And I think that's what we have to remind ourselves when we're like, yeah, but I don't like quite, you know, I'm not quite. And it's like, yeah, but what did that do for you in your twenties? For me, it did nothing, you know, like I could have been at my peak. I think back to when like, you know, that might've been, and I'm like, but I was so insecure and miserable. And I, I found a thousand different reasons not to like myself. And now I'm in my thirties and I have like a ton less. I only have like a few reasons why I don't like myself. And I work with those and I am constantly trying to, you know, sort of shift that into seeing that they're, it's nothing bad, you know, that these are maybe misconceptions that I've labeled as bad and used to think that I'm not of value, but it's not true. So my point is that would be your set. What's that? That would be your set. What would? The things still working on. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that is um another powerful thing about getting older is uh, is taking what you got, right? Saying like, well, maybe I I have to let go of not getting more wrinkles because I'm going to. It's just going to happen. Not getting more gray because I'm going to. Not having more aches and pains in my body because I'm moving in that direction. So at least I can laugh about it, but I can keep cultivating what's inside. And that's starting to get pretty good. You know, when we start to feel that way, like, Ooh, I like who the, what this is in here. And I want to bring this out. That's, that's so much more satisfying. I think. Totally. Yeah. So I think we pretty much decided that Comedy saves lives. Comedy <laughs> can heal. 
and, and to, you know, more on that is that I, I can't think of anyone who hasn't had that experience where they're in this dark place and then you put on your favorite comedy and you just feel transformed. You know, I, I've definitely had days where I was just like so far down in the dumps and I put on one of my favorite comedies and I just like, it's like a new perspective on life. It, it reminds you like, oh, it's not that bad. Life isn't all gloom and doom and all of that. It's like, oh my God, I can laugh. I can, you know, there is still light and love and brightness in the world. So I do think comedy saves. I think it inspires. I think it heals. It's transformative. It's brilliant, you know? And I think that if you can use your wisdom and use your voice to be brave enough to talk about the truth of your vulnerabilities and your flaws, then then you have what it takes to be a comedian. And, and even if you don't want to be full on comedian, you still have what it takes to connect with, to be a leader in connecting. And yes, absolutely. Which is again, another beautiful thing is that we have this very specific idea of what a leader is, but a leader is just anyone who's sharing their view and their way of doing something and offering it to others. And people are like, I like that. I like her style. I like what she did. I am. I know people look at you and you do a set and they're like, I like her. I like that. I like her vibe. I like her thing. And you're bam, you're, uh, you are leading others. Cause they might say, well, maybe I could do that. If she did that, if she found new life, if she could serve, you know, I think a lot of people go through divorce and they're there. I think there can be a lot of shame in it. There can be sadness and they don't want to share it, but to see when people really empower themselves through that, it's inspiring and encouraging. Totally. Yeah. So in that you are a leader to others, to women, to all of us. So thank you. And I do want to talk a little bit about, you are writing a book right now called spiritual comedy. And of course, spirituality is my jam. So what is that about? I mean, I think we've kind of unpacked how comedy is spiritual because spirituality is just all about expression and the soul and all that. How do you, what's your book all about? Well, you know, I, I kind of wanted to write a memoir, but I'm like, everybody wants to write a memoir, but I, I wanted to write about how comedy is my spiritual practice mm -hmm. because that's, that's what I believe. I think that comedy certainly brought me, um, courage, not just to get on stage, but also to examine my life and share it. But it's also connection and gratitude and um, forgiveness, uh, because I think that's that's what happens when, in the process of of writing a set. And so I'd, I'd like I want to do a chapter on each of these qualities and and how how I see it in comedy and in in myself or in another's. Yeah, how beautiful! That sounds like a spectacular book. I can't wait to read it. Is it is is it newly being developed and gestated? Yes, it's yeah. I I, I just said I'm going to do it, and I wrote an outline. Um, so my husband, I I got married last year. Yeah, I what? got remarried. Getting divorced. Um, so I got married. Uh, remarried. Oh my gosh, you mean women can still get married in their fifties? Yes. Oh my gosh, Whitney, we had a great wedding outdoors. I had six comedians come, and uh, this whole roast toasted us. How fun! Oh. You know what we did? Um, we I did not throw the bouquet to all the single ladies because fuck that. Um, <laughs> we uh, we brought anybody who wanted to, and I had a stuffed a stuffed got? cat, and okay, then whoever got the cat was going to be the next to adopt an animal. Yay! <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. 
So yeah, I got married and um, I'm married to a um, a deadhead who loves fish. And I don't know if you know about this, but he has to go to see them for three days on Labor Day. And I decided this year I wasn't going to go with him. So instead, I'm going on a silent retreat and oh, I'm going to write some of them. Awesome. Wow. What a great pair when you can go see your separate ways and do what recharges and renews you. Because I imagine that three days of fish is what he needs in a system and three days of silence is what's going to recharge you. So they are almost completely different. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. That's so perfect. And I love that this dude is just totally himself because to still be a, you know, a, a diehard deadhead and fish head or whatever they call themselves, you know, that's great. <laughs> yeah. His, the groom's cake had the little grateful dead on it. <laughs> that's so fantastic. I, I, I also love when people are just totally open about like, what they adore, like what they're like when they nerd out on certain things and they're like, I will always be obsessed with this or into this. And oh my gosh, that's just like, that always gets to my heartstrings. Cause it's just so wonderful. Cause we you know we're these little humans that just happen to like certain things, just do it for us. And we're like, I could just spend all day reading about this subject or that. And like when people just embrace it, whatever it is, I think that's awesome. And it doesn't have to align, right? I love that you guys are into different things. I'm sure you have a lot of things in common, but I think that's so, something so important to remember is when we're looking for our partner, it's not because we're totally aligned. It's because we can, you know, be our total selves in, you know, aligned next to each other, not necessarily immersed. You're so, yeah, um, you're so right. He, when we met on OkCupid and Tinder and Bumble, um, he knew that we were not going to work out, did not date women with children. Oh, okay. Also, he only wanted somebody who loved the concert scene because that was important to him. But as soon as we met, we realized that we felt like each other's home. So yeah, it's true. We, we think that we need some, we think we know exactly what we need, but that's not it. Totally. That is, it's so funny. It, it really is that way, isn't it? That we have all these hard and fast, rules and, 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 you know, a lot of dating coaches will say that, like find your deal breakers and all this, but so often, you know, all that, that home component is the biggest thing. Cause to me, that means it's two souls that are sort of aligned whether they can, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. If you feel that at home sense, it's cause there's, there's something between you that really, um, suits each other well and can work no matter what, because you can spend your Labor Day weekends at fish in a silent retreat and you're still all good. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And I'm sure he loves your children and is probably stoked to have children in his life, which he might not have knew he would. So you're right. And, um, you know, who else is stoked is his mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Wow. Well, Jen, this has been such a fun conversation. I knew I was going to love it because it's who wants to talk about anything else besides comedy and laughter and fun. And it's, it's nice to not always be not everything has to be serious, right? We can talk about healthy, exciting, fun ways to release trauma and also, you know, to get through life. Like it doesn't always have to be like, you know, serious and focused and, and there's a time and place for those things to make progress and do that. But sometimes it's about, we can't forget the joy. Absolutely. And we so often do. That's a, like, that's the first thing to go out the door. You know, we're like, well, we don't have time for this. Right. Yeah. Joy is not a luxury and comedy is not only for good times. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've, we see that now because I think a lot of people turn to comedy during the pandemic when we're sitting alone in our homes and we needed something to feel like I need to like lighten this up 
I need to like feel a little bit better. And you, you watch other people talk about this and you're like, Oh God, that's so nice to like have that, you know, expression, have that joy, have that fun with this when everything else feels a little bit like, Oh gosh. Oh, thank you, Whitney. You are so welcome, Jen. I think you froze again, but I think we're okay to wrap things up. Oh, but Jen, if you, if you're back, you're back. How can people find you? If they want to work with you, if they want to be in your workshop, if they want to read your book eventually, how can people find you? You can find me at my website, genxcomedy.com. That's Gen X with a J because I'm Jen. Um, or my Instagram is genxcomedysd or find me on Facebook, um, uh, genxcomedy. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Perfect. Whitney. You are so welcome, Jen. It was so wonderful and so much fun to have you on the show. Good luck writing your book. I can't wait to read it. I will send you a copy. Woo! Okay. Thanks, Jen. Take care. That wraps up our beautiful conversation with our wonderful guests. Thank you so much for listening to the Women Waken podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with others and come back for more. If anything you heard resonates, leave a review or send me an email at Whitney at womenwaken.com and check out the website, womenwaken.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day and don't forget to let your light shine and keep an eye out for your special gifts and magic.